Hello everyone and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke, thanks for joining me. Today, an episode of our National Perspective series, which has been hosted by Dr Gordon de Brouwer, who is the National President of IPA. In this conversation today, Dr de Brouwer speaks to Leilani bin Judah, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Torres Strait Regional Authority. In this conversation, Dr de Brouwer explores what it's like to be leading a remote APS agency. Uh, They talk about the Torres Strait COVID-19 public sector response and also about resilience and leadership. It's a wonderful conversation and it begins with Dr Gordon de Brouwer. So hello to everyone listening and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian Public Service. My name's Gordon de Brouwer and I'm the National President of the Institute of Public Administration Australia. I'm in Canberra on Ngunnawal country and I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners and pay my respect to elders past, present and future. Today I'm really delighted to uh, have uh, here uh, Leilani Bin-Judah, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the Torres Strait Regional Authority, talking about different perspectives around public service in Australia. Leilani was appointed to the position of CEO at the Torres Strait Regional Authority by the Minister for Indigenous Australians, uh, Honourable Ken Wyatt, on, in January uh, last year. She's the first Indigenous woman to be appointed substantively to the CEO position. Before joining the authority, Leilani has spent 13 years with the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, where she served in China, the Solomon Islands, Papua New Guinea, and as the Treaty Liaison Officer on uh, on Thursday Island. As the Torres Strait Liaison Officer, she developed relationships of trust and cooperation between Australia and Papua New Guinea on shared regional issues, particularly advocating the interests of traditional inhabitants in maintaining livelihoods and traditional ways of life under the Australia PNG Torres Strait Treaty. Uh, In 2019, Leilani was awarded a Public Service Medal for outstanding public service in promoting the inclusion of Indigenous heritage in Australia's cultural and foreign policies. Congratulations, Leilani. Uh, And um, I'd like to welcome you. Uh, Leilani is a proud Torres Strait Islander with ties to Hammond, Darnley and Murray Islands. Uh, so w- welcome welcome to the program, Leilani. Uh, thank you very much, Gordon. I'm rather pleased to be involved with the IPAA and certainly the invitation to speak with you today. Thanks very much. I thought we might go through three, three big bits in the conversation and maybe start off with some personal reflections and then about the, your experience in leading a remote public service or APS agency, and then a bit about the Torres Strait COVID-19 public sector response. But uh, maybe starting off uh, with a personal reflection, Leilani, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your own journey? To... Sure, Gordon. Um, look, and firstly, before I kick off formally, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners whose country I'm speaking from today, the Kaurag Nation here on Thursday Island. And I'd also like to acknowledge our elders past, present and emerging. Um, It is really important, uh, the protocols that we acknowledge uh, the place and the people from whom we are connected to. So I think that that's really important. And while I'm not in Canberra, um, it is um, part of me that has to really show that connectedness. 
In terms of uh, personal journey, um, I started off as a graduate in the 90s, such a long time ago, <laughs> with the then Department of Primary Industries and Energy. And um, I worked in very various agencies in Canberra from um, deep, what was then the DPIE to Attorney Generals and um, then the National Museum of Australia. Um, and while I was at the NMA, an opportunity presented itself to come and work for the Torres Strait Regional Authority back then in the early 2000s um, in arts and culture. So I um, came up to Thursday Island back then and uh, was up here for about five years when the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade knocked on the door and said, would you consider working with us? And I thought, goodness, another trip back to Canberra. I just left that cold country. It better be worth it. <laughs> so, and in the end, it was very much worth it uh, because I landed in, in foreign affairs um, in the cultural diplomacy section. And not long after that, um, I started work on the Shanghai World Expo team. And we were deployed to Shanghai in 2010. Um, and that was a great experience. So I then had a wonderful career in the Foreign Service and um, it ended up landing me back on Thursday Island, funnily enough, uh, in 2016 from, from P&G. And, and that was the treaty, the Torres Strait Treaty work. Um, and I was in that position for about four years when this opportunity presented itself and I thought, well, I'll put my hand up at that because I think the time might be right now for a woman to lead the charge for an organisation such as this. Um, and so I was lucky enough to uh, win the position and um, since then have enjoyed the experience. And what's underpinned all of this um, in terms of as an Indigenous woman working towards a leadership position is my commitment to service. Commitment to service as a public servant, commitment to service for the general public and a commitment to service for the region, the people, the constituents. Um, and I think that's really important because, as you can see now, the Torres Strait plays a very active role in the Australia-PNG um, bilateral relationship as well as our geopolitical arena with China. So it's a very strategic location and one that I'm very proud to be as a Torres Strait Islander and lucky enough to be in a position that can drive change and advocate um, for interests, both Australian interests and traditional habitat interests. So that's probably where my personal reflections and learnings have come from, Gordon, in a, in a nutshell. So th thanks, Leilani. That's, uh, it's amazing how deep that, that idea of service goes, and it's so nice that you can see uh, a range of communities, including your own local community, but also the nation. That's a really, uh, that's really uh, profound. Can I ask you just to, to delve a little bit deeper on the personal side? And uh, often, uh, probably with most, with most people, but you hear it a lot with Indigenous people, um, around your different selves, that uh, you're, you belong to a community, an Indigenous community, you're a woman, uh, you're, you're, you head an Indigenous agency, uh, that you also head a, a Commonwealth corporate or a Commonwealth agency, an entity, a PGPA Act entity. Can you talk a bit about how you bring your different selves together, how you identify your different selves and how you bring them together? Yes, thanks, Gordon. That's a really good point. And 
for us as Indigenous peoples in the public service, um, firstly, there are there are only a certain handful of us in the service, and and if I can be honest, you know, in terms of the senior executive um, band ones, there's only about thirty of us across the whole Australian public service. So that in itself um, brings a lot of pressure for us. Um, we are drawn upon for many obligations, and that's either in our work sense, but also other jobs or odd jobs for the public service as well. Um, and that can sometimes be quite quite challenging. Mm. Um, in this role, uh, yes, I am head of um, an agency, but I'm also a Torres Strait Islander. I am able to understand what those issues are and be able to relate and connect to my constituents, to my stakeholders. The work that I undertook prior with Foreign Affairs uh, with PNG has placed us in a very, very positive position that the TSRA and certainly, I mean, the public service in this neck of the woods has ever seen. Having someone had international experience who understands the strategic positioning um, of the region has been an absolute advantage to the TSRA. Um, it's the first time that that has happened and, and I think it's made best use of um, my experience and certainly how mm. I can contribute to the betterment of the TSRA, uh, particularly in the times at the moment with COVID. You know, we have been advocating very strongly with the Australian government on ensuring the rights and interests of traditional inhabitants are part of that decision-making um, and part of the um, priorities for this region. Um, and we've, we've been successful with that. We've had open dialogue with the Foreign um, Affairs Minister, um, Senator Payne, and also the Minister for the Pacific and International Development um, in keeping an open dialogue with regional leaders. Now, that's come about because of very strong advocacy and championing and because I am from that ilk and that understanding, we've been able to have very good open dialogue, uh, including with other stakeholders as well. So, so that's been a, a huge advantage um, to, to the region. Um, so there are many different selves to us. I mean, people still think of me um, in the DFAT arena. You know, if I'm out in the community, that's the first thing that they see. When I'm on the PNG side, you know, previously... Um, because I had undertaken a posting in Moresby, um, you know, people saw me in that in that light. Um, so you never really stop being um, a person. Uh, well, not never stop being an Indigenous person either. Because the minute I say that I'm from the Torres Strait or I've worked in the Torres Strait, people connect. Um, and it's the same with any of the countries that I've been posted in. It was a similar experience in the Solomon Islands. It was a similar experience in, in Papua New Guinea. Um, and I think in PNG it really came home to me because a lot of the locally engaged staff had never seen an Indigenous diplomat or worked with one before. And, um, uh, you know, there was a funny story where I'd um, go to the shops with, with my driver and, you know, I was in normal, um, you know, Mary blouse and my billum and go to the shops and people thought I was the house Mary. And I said, yeah, yeah, I am, actually. <laughs> it's until I started talking that they realised, oh, actually, she's not the house Mary. She's probably the boss Mary. So, um, you know, it to me it was a bit of um, 
an experiment myself, trying to work work out where I fit into the um, general picture. But at the end of the day, it's all about how you are able to communicate with people and communicate, you know, at that time, Australia's national interests. Um, and equally in this job, it's ensuring that the rights and recognition of traditional inhabitants and Torres Strait Islanders and Aboriginal people of this region are front and centre of any decisions that affect the lives and livelihoods of people in this region. Thanks very much, Leilani. That's great. That's a great story and uh, a really powerful example of uh, the strength that comes from uh, diversity and from having different parts to yourself. So thanks. Maybe you talk a bit about uh, leading a, a remote APS agency. and um, So TSRA is uh, re remote. Uh, can you just talk a bit about what's most important to you um, uh, and the TRSA and, and the community you serve that comes from your agency? Yeah, look, the biggest um, issue for me is to ensure that I maintain a very important value. And that value is to ensure I improve the lives and livelihoods of Indigenous Australians. And regardless of location, whether that's domestic or international, that will always be a very strong value of mine. Um, in this role um, with the Torres Strait Regional Authority, um, we canvas eight different program areas. So that includes native title, environment management, economic development, fisheries, um, arts, culture, heritage, healthy and safe communities, uh, corporate and media, um, and native title. So there's a whole range of very diverse um, program areas. And so my job is to ensure that I deliver what my board sets as its regional priorities. And the big one at the moment is infrastructure. So maintaining regional infrastructure in this region to then provide jobs, provide security, provide safety for marine infrastructure projects um, across the islands is really important because, as you can imagine, being a remote location, the number one way of getting around in this region is by boat. So the safety of our wharves and um, jetties and things like that is really important. Um, equally, we only have one airport. Our main airports are at Horn Island. Uh, most of the other island communities have um, airports except for two, uh, and those two communities, the only way you can really get in there is probably by, by boat or by helicopter. So transport for us is a main issue in this region. Um, and equally, uh, reliable telecommunications and IT um, is, is an absolute challenge for us. Uh, you know, just a few months ago, uh, we were experiencing quite a number of outages um, with our telecommunications system because it's linked to the Cape, Cape York, um, on the mainland. So when those towers go down, it means the rest of the Torres Strait also goes down. So that's, um, you know, we're in the year 2021 and yet in Australia, uh, basic services are not always delivered in a reliable way. Yeah. Can I ask, um, being a geographically remote-based uh, uh, entity, how you find working with the, uh, the Queensland government but also maybe working with other parts of the Commonwealth, uh, the Australian government, particularly those that are Canberra-based? 
Yeah, sure. Look, there's about 36 government agencies in the Torres Strait. We are one of the most over-governed regions in this country, and that includes Commonwealth and state government. Um, the working relationships that we have with these agencies is a positive one, I would hope. Um, it, however, we do have room for improvement. Um, we've been working um, quite diligently since I've come into the role to ensure that we have very constructive and positive relationships with our uh, stakeholders and our agencies. Um, you know, sometimes we don't always agree, but at the end of the day, we are here to serve the same group of people, the constituents. You know, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people of this region is our number one priority. So the TSRA is the Commonwealth's leading agency on Indigenous affairs in this region. We have a mandate and an obligation to ensure policy services and programs in this region um, are monitored and evaluated in a way that does provide improvement to our lives and livelihoods. So we take that role very, very seriously and we are enacted in an, you know, an act of parliament. Um, it's the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Act 2005. So I think there's, there's certainly room for improvement in trying to look at um, improved coordination and cooperation with other agencies for that. So slowly but surely, we've had a new board appointed. Um, they came into effect in February this year when we um, undertook the induction for them. We have now set about regional priority setting that happened last month in May. Uh, and now in terms of the administration, we are working very hard to ensure we implement those priorities. So, you know, as I mentioned, the number one regional priority right now by the board is infrastructure, regional infrastructure across um, across our re region. Uh, and uh, I'm probably being a little bit sensitive here, but uh, how, how do you find working with Canberra? Uh, because it's it's quite, it's got such a different world and uh, the perceptions or the closeness to your local community, that that's, that's, that's different. But that, that how do you find that? Um, Yes, you're right, Gordon. Um, I forgot about that part, um, coming to it. Uh, yes, it's very positive. Um, so we, the TSRA is um, a portfolio agency under the Indigenous um, portfolio. So we work very closely with the National Indigenous um, Australians Agency, NIA, yeah. um, and we also work very closely with the Minister's Office. Um, so I have almost a parallel path of reporting, if you like, but also very close engagement for, for the two um, groups. And I find it to be quite, quite um, cooperative and very supportive. And I think that's come about because I've spent half of my working career in Canberra. Mm. So I do understand the machinery of government. I do understand how ministers' offices work. And I do understand, you know, their particular mandate. Um, what is interesting for us is that the TSRA has a board. Um, we have 20 board members. So wow. I report directly to the minister. I also report directly to the chair and the board. Um, so, as I mentioned, there are parallel ways of reporting. Um, but, yes, it's been quite helpful, particularly during COVID. We've had very strong support from the minister, his office and NIAA around COVID and ensuring vaccinations, um, you know, were, were looked upon for the Torres Strait as a priority area, given our close proximity to PNG and Western Province. 
you know, under the treaty, once, you know, borders open or prior to COVID, um, there were free cross-border movements by those eligible under the treaty. So once COVID came into place, um, that provides a high security risk for both countries. Mm-hmm. And we needed to ensure that the management um, of our people's safety and security came first. So, you know, we've had nothing but strong support from Canberra for this. Yeah, that's great. Can I just tell you, so you, you, you started uh, talking about COVID. Can you talk a bit about how that evolved uh, and how it worked out for you, both of how do you protect your local community, but also given the, the such the close link to, to PNG, how you worked with uh, PNG in uh, in protecting um, also Papua New Guineans and and that that impact on on the Torres Strait. Mm. So in the region we have the local disaster management group, which is led by the Torres Shire Council. So the TSRA is a member, um, an observer member um, of that um, group. So we were party to the discussions and also some of the advocacy, um, particularly if uh, the local councils needed support at the Commonwealth level, that was our role to play um, in that arena. Um, So regional leaders, uh, that's the Torres Shire Council, the Torres Strait Island Regional Council, so that's rule of the outer islands, and then you've got us as the Torres Strait Regional Authority. So all regional leaders got together to ensure that the, um, the government, as in the Australian government, and its response to COVID um, made sure that we did cover the interests of locals here. So, so it was a very coordinated response. Uh, we, there was a lot of support, obviously, from Queensland Health um, and from some of the private sector, for example, Qantas, uh, because at that time, Qantas Link, uh, prior to COVID, we had two or three flights a day. At the peak of um, our lockdown, we were only receiving two flights a week. Mm. Um, there was a period of three weeks lockdown and um, we couldn't go anywhere. Uh, and that really did test a lot of people's patience. I'd have to say I was one of those. I'm used to being locked up, but not like that. Um, I'm used to you know, compounds and so forth, but this was this was something else. And, you know, Thursday Island is a very small island. It's about 10 kilometres long, uh, you know, if you could drive around in it. Um, so there was nowhere to go. Um, and it does have an impact on people's mental health, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, so so the take-home message in terms of how, how COVID um, impacted the Torres Strait and the work of us, uh, TSRA, working with other agencies, having... Um, an advocate advocacy role and championing interest at that Commonwealth level was important. Um, given my previous role and understanding of the bilateral relationship was also really advantageous to, to this discussion. Um, and having known how to uh, lever support uh, in the Foreign Affairs Network also helped us understand um, the whole dialogue and debate around how we um, ensure, you know, safety and security of the region. So it did take a really important um, uh, leading role um, from the Commonwealth's perspective. What sort of practical things did you do with uh, with Papua New Guinea? Yeah, so some of the practical things was through that um, local council or the Torres Strait Island Regional Council, their 
ordinarily um, members, the traditional inhabitants who sit on the Torres Strait Treaty as Australia's representation um, for that. And so we were able to discuss with councillors um, and, and hear what their concerns were. Um, and we were able to advocate that to our federal minister um, in a you know positive and constructive way. So we were also able to understand and talk to our constituents or families of our constituents across the border and hear what some of their concerns were because they were equally concerned. Um, they didn't want to do anything that would compromise the bilateral relationship and they certainly didn't want to do anything that would compromise a health risk. Um, making sure that key messages around safety and security, uh, particularly human security in relation to COVID, uh, was important. So we were also able to lend our support from TSRA. We have these electronic bulletin boards in every single um, shop on the islands that we have um, out in the um, region. So if you know messages needed to be conveyed from Queensland Health or any other important um, uh, agency, we were able to get that out there in a timely manner. Um, I also have a network of rangers, so my staff are out on um, about 14 communities. So we were also able to send information out to, to my staff so that they could receive it in a timely manner. Yeah, that's great. Um, can, I, can I ask you, with your own workforce and then with your own community, what, what some of the learnings you took from how to lead your workforce through, through the pandemic? Uh, and then we'll move to the community as well. But on your, on your own workforce, how, how did you look mm. after them and engage with them? Yes, I have 154 staff located in multiple locations through the Torres Strait and also some uh, offices in, are in Cairns. So when um, instructions were provided to us from the Australian Public Service Commission on you know, potential working from home arrangements, um, that wasn't as easy to do for us, um, particularly in outer islands um, where some of the work functions are not actually conducted in an office space. So the rangers, for example, are land and sea um, operatives. So they're out on boats or they're out in vehicles checking on environmental management um, issues, so looking for pests and things like that. So it's, it wasn't as easy as um, if you were in Canberra in an office, so slightly different. And equally here on Thursday Island, which is the main hub, um, I've got four different locations for my um, teams and it's not as easy as well to um, institute an immediate work from home arrangement because not everyone has um, a home office set up for them in their own house. So that, that can be sometimes quite challenging. How did you uh, deal with the fear or people worried about it? I mean, in terms of re providing reassurance, that sort of that psychological comfort that, that their interests really matter to you, that their safety really matters to you? Absolutely. And I made a concerted effort. I'm, I'm a little bit of an unorthodox uh, kind of leader in that I actually like my people and I like to find out what's happening. So I walk the floors. Um, I would go to every team and ask them how they were travelling um, and provide accurate and timely advice. So the advice that we were provided from Queensland Health in particular about the state of affairs, um, you know, particularly noting 
you know, there were no COVID cases in the Torres Strait or Northern Peninsula area. That was so important. So because we couldn't gather as a group um, because of the instructions at the time, uh, our only medium was through emails or on occasions I was able to uh, meet with different sections and have chats with them about what they were feeling at the time. Um, so, you know, trying to provide accurate, timely, factual information was really important to get to to get out to all staff. What about the community more generally? I, I, I'm, I'm guessing it's the same sort of thing, but uh, can you talk more generally about the community's uh, concerns or fears and how you engaged or the, the need for information, how you engaged with that? Mm. Um, similarly, uh, whenever the local disaster management group held its meetings, they would provide um, a one-pager with factual information on it and um, some of the next steps that, you know, uh, the the group would take. So those sorts of pieces of information were really important to provide to uh, both staff and also communities because, you know, a majority of my workforce um, are local people and they have families, um, they have extended families, so everyone was quite concerned about the seriousness of, of what we were being faced with. Um, equally, I would make it my business to go around to talk to as many staff as I could, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one and just explain some of those facts around it and what the Australian government and um, other agencies like the local disaster management group was doing and how we were going to try to navigate a way forward. So there was a lot of uncertainty, absolutely, at the time, and the way to manage uncertainty is to provide as much factual information as one can um, at the time and have open dialogue as often as I could. Yeah. Well, one of the striking features around uh, the impact of the government's response in both Australia and New Zealand is that the general community trusts government a lot more uh, as a result. Did you see any of that or maybe is, is it anecdotal, but how did your community respond to the government side um, in, in in Torres Strait was there an increase? Is your sense that they increased their trust, or maybe was trust okay anyway? Oh look, I couldn't tell you exactly, Gordon. I mean, from from you know straight from Commonwealth, as in straight from a Canberra perspective, um, because here it was managed from a localised um, group, as in the local disaster management. You had all the local councils their mayors and chairs who were leading that response. So there was a concerted effort from local mayors um, and the chair of the TSRA um, to ensure that messages were getting out that were all consistent. So the use of radio was helpful. Mm. Um, the use of uh, local newspaper print was also helpful at the time. Um, so there was information around, um, but at the end of the day, the most important medium for any communication is word of mouth, as we all know. Yes. So uh, for us, even though Canberra might say, look, the, the sky is blue, unless it comes from someone locally here, then it's taken for, for gospel. So, um, you know, advice comes from Canberra. We understand that. Advice comes from Queensland Health. But at the end of the day, you know, unless there is a consistent messaging by regional lead leaders, 
um, to constituents, I think that's when when the um, messages can actually get through to local communities. Yeah, that's great. Uh, is your sense though that the trust then in the regional leadership has that has that strengthened or improved or changed or it's the same? Oh, again, hard for me to comment um, because I have not actively gone out into the field mm. to ask that question. Um, what I can say though is people are relieved that one we remain COVID free. Yeah. Um, the rollout of the vaccinations have been a little bit tricky. The first um, rollout obviously was was very positive with AstraZeneca in our outer islands. Um, you know, the Torres Strait was a priority area for the Australian government and that came about because of, you know, a lot of lobbying and championing and ensuring that, you know, the safety of our people was number one. But now, you know, slowly but surely we are picking up again. And I myself have had my two shots of Pfizer. I've led um, the workforce to ensure vaccination occurs for staff. My board members have also started now to, to get their vaccinations as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, can I ask just uh, the, the last question on COVID? Um, sometimes in other places have seen uh, that some of the work practices have changed. So maybe there's a bit more flexibility in the workplace. There's a different use of technology or, and the question, or the question is how do you lock in some of those changes? Did you find anything change in the nature of your work practices that you also think about how do you lock those in or how do you look to to those to, to keep the benefits? Mm, absolutely. We did have to change the way we conducted our business. There was no doubt about that. Um, you know, we were hamstrung in terms of physical transportation and that for us is a big one up here. That's the only way we can get around um, in the region. So we had to rely a lot on technology, um, you know, electronic platforms, um, Zoom, um, Teams, um, teleconferences, um, so forth. So there were other mediums in which we utilised to conduct ordinary government business. Um, now, in some ways that, that worked and others it didn't because in remote communities such as Boigu or Duan where connectivity is not always 100% reliable, it, it's not um, workable for us. That became a bit of a challenge. Uh, we continue to use, obviously, some of these electronic platforms, but, um, you know, nothing beats face-to-face -face discussions when, when you can have them. So yeah. we have adopted some of those practices where practical. Yeah, that's great. Um, maybe just as a very last question now before we finish, uh, this is a bit of a, a personal reflection. And uh, so going, going through an event like this in a crisis, people discover different things about themselves that they didn't know about themselves. Um, can you talk about, is there anything that you noticed or discovered in yourself, in either in your role or, or as, as a person, what, what you kind of learnt, learnt about yourself for, from this? Oh, for sure. Um, it was a very challenging time and still remains so, but equally rewarding because on the one hand, while we continue to face a global pandemic, the other side of that coin is ensuring the safety and security of our region and its people remains a number one priority for this country. So part of, you know, some of my advocacy work, including in the old um, regime of foreign affairs, has enabled me to ensure that these um, priorities remain at the front mind of, of government. So that's been an absolute positive in that sense. Um, 
Taking a leadership role has also been extremely uh, challenging and rewarding because we wanted to make sure that the Torres Strait Regional Authority, as the Commonwealth leading Commonwealth leading agency on Indigenous Affairs, was able to be the leader in coordinating some of those responses. Um, and so we are rebuilding and repositioning the TSRA as it once was. Um, and on a final note, having good support and in, uh, understanding, uh, I cannot uh, underscore so much the importance of relationships. Relationships with community, with um, agencies, with my elected arm, with the po politicians, um, it was really important to ensure that um, you know this region remained a focus for for the for this country. So I've been quite pleased with um, the amount of reporting, the amount of focus and emphasis um, on the Torres Strait, and and I'm glad that that has absolutely gone up the line as far as the prime minister. So that's been fantastic to see. Yeah, that's that's. Uh... So, uh, Leilani Benjuda, can I uh, th thank you? Uh, frankly, it's been uh, a real honour for me to have this conversation and a real pleasure to have this conversation and, and meet you. Uh, can I thank you for what you've done in your job uh, for, for your community, but also for, for Australia, uh, including um, in, uh, in reconciliation uh, and, and uh, uh, recognition uh, and, and how you support that? And it's been a wonderful, it's been really wonderful, Leilani, to be able to talk with you. So uh, th thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Gordon. And thank you to the team at IPAA. It's been an absolute honour and a privilege to have this conversation today. Um, and I look forward to uh, hearing more podcasts that uh, IPAA uh, provides to us. Thank you. And that was not, spayed, that was not paid sponsorship, Leilani. <laughs> uh, but th th thanks. So, uh, dear audience, uh, thank you for listening um, and I hope you'll tune in again soon for some more insights into public administration from the Work With Purpose podcast. Today, we've been talking with Leilani Binjuda, the CEO of the Torres Strait Regional Authority. Until then, bye for now. So there you go. What a great conversation between Dr. Gordon DeBrower and Leilani Bin Judah, the Chief Executive Officer of the Torres Strait Regional Authority. And a big thanks to Leilani Bin Judah for joining us on today's Work With Purpose episode. And to you, the audience, thanks once again for your time and attention and your interest in the Australian public service. And doesn't today's conversation just fill you with, I don't know, even more admiration about just exactly what the Australian public service does and the breadth of issues that it covers and the ground that it covers and the importance of the Australian public service to the life of all Australians and indeed many people around the world. So a big thanks again to Dr Gordon DeBrower and to Leilani Bin Judah. And again, as I say, audience, thank you. If you do see the promotion on social media for this particular episode and indeed any of the episodes of Work With Purpose, please, a like, a share, a retweet or indeed a review on your favourite podcasting app that would help the program to be found by more people who may be interested in learning a little bit more about the diversity and indeed the importance of the Australian public service. So thank you very much again. I will be back at the same time in two weeks with our next episode of Work With Purpose, but for the moment, it's bye for now. 
Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. Thank you.